Coming up on We Talk News this week, there is movement on the cannabis legalization front as a Republican congressional representative introduces a legalization bill. Is this the political shift that can impact reform at the federal level? We'll hear from the NCIA lead lobbyist, Michael Correa. Um, next week, it looks like on Monday, she's going to be introducing her bill. Plus, the celebrity push towards legalization starts to organize with Sarah Silverman and Seth Rogen teaming up with Headcount and CannabisInCommon.org. More than two-thirds of us agree cannabis should be legalized. New Jersey will start to take applications for adult-use licenses, and the Harvest Cup competition is in Worcester, Massachusetts, the cannabis capital of the Bay State. All on We Talk News next. Pro-Cannabis Media Programming and PCM-TV is supported by Revolutionary Clinics, Massachusetts' number one medical dispensary where the patient comes first, and by Salient Systems for Video Surveillance. You've got regulations, Salient has solutions for your security needs. And by Accounting Buds, your number one CPA specialist for the cannabis industry. And by Artery Pay, easy, cheap, fun, and legal just like cannabis should be. We are pro-cannabis media. Hi, everyone. Welcome to We Talk News for this week. I'm Jimmy Young from Pro Cannabis Media. There is movement on the federal cannabis reform front, and amazingly, it comes from the Republican side of the aisle in Congress. House Republican Nancy Mace, a freshman rep from South Carolina, has introduced a federal legalization bill that features many elements from the Senate version of legalization, courtesy of our friends Senator Chuck Schumer, Cory Booker, and Ron Wyden. Now the big question is, is it the fact that a Republican is penning this bill? Does it make it more passable by both houses of Congress. And who better to talk about this development than our friend at the NCIA, the Director of Government Relations, Michael Correa. It's Representative Nancy Mace, a freshman from South Carolina. Yep. And you would think, well, why would a person from South Carolina care about this issue? It's not like South Carolina is leading the country in, in reform. It's an issue that is just personally a priority to her. And so she's a freshman. When she came to Congress, she said she wanted to focus on three priority issues. This was one of the three cannabis reforms. So, hey, give her props as a Republican from the South and from South Carolina for um, taking on this issue. Uh, I want more uh, uh, members of that. It makes me happy. Uh, so that's sort of the background on her. Uh, her staff has really been interested in them. Uh, this issue, uh, they've uh, got a lot of um, they got a lot of influence in our uh, regulatory paper that we put out a couple of years ago. They really appreciated that. They've been talking to a lot of reform groups. And so uh, there's that. But another bit of background. So when the Moore Act passed, if you remember the debate, a lot of Republicans came out and said, uh, I'm not supportive of this. And they just gave a thumbs down. Right. But then they, no one ever said, what are you supportive of? You know, how far are you willing to go? 
Mm-hmm. And so after the Moore Act, when I was talking to some Republican offices, Representative Dave Joyce being one of them, Nancy Bates being another, I always thought, wow, there should be an alternative. There should be an alternative Republican bill to Moore because I do believe there are a lot of Republicans out there. And Greg Walden was a former Republican from Oregon, and he said he couldn't support the Moore Act, but he, he felt, and he, he retired last year, he felt that there could be Republican support for descheduling legalization of cannabis that didn't go as far as the Moore Act to address some of these concerns and issues. And so I've always thought, well, let's keep the conversation going. Let's have an alternative and let's put, you know, the legislation where people's mouth is and see if there is support for something like this. And let's be honest, if you are a a federal official and you still think this should be federally illegal, well, then you're a dinosaur. You're out of touch with 70% of the voters in this country. Mm -hmm. And so, but let's be honest, you know, maybe some Republicans, you could have simple descheduling, decriminalizing, kicking it to the federal. And then you have, you know, a total regulatory approach uh, where it legalizes in all 50 states. There's a, there's like a, um, uh, uh, from A to Z on how far you can go um, on the federal reform on how comfortable Republicans are going to be. And so, you know, that's my long way to get around to um, next week. It looks like on Monday, she's going to be introducing her bill. It's out there. You know, a couple of reporters have seen it. They posted it. Um, the plan is basically introduce it and they're facilitating comments from stakeholders right now. Ours NCIA right now is in the process of going through it, giving a summary of it and giving our comments back. Mm-hmm. And then um, when she introduces it, it isn't, it isn't just a, a nothing bill. I think it's going to be a very important bill because one, it's a Republican, two, it's a freshman, three, it's from South Carolina and it gets a discussion going. And I mentioned Dave Joyce, he has his bill out there. And this is a Nancy Mace Republican bill. These are two options for Republicans to think about if they are not willing to go as far as the Moore Act. And so that's a big to put it all into summary of sort of where we're at and why I think it's big. And then the the last part is we know history. I don't think history is kind to first term presidents in Congress. And you saw what happened in Virginia and New Jersey a couple of days ago in the election there's a high probability that the House and Senate switch and it's a Republican legislature in 2023. If that's the case, then Nancy Mace's bill is going to take on a bigger priority and Dave Joyce's bill is going to take on a bigger priority. So right now, you know, we can gain some co-sponsors, but um, I think this is more of she's getting her thoughts out there and let's have a discussion. There's another thing that happened this week with a couple of celebrities, Seth Rogen and Sarah Silverman now have some nonprofits and they're trying to uh, galvanize the troops, if you will, their followers to put pressure on other congressional leaders to, to move cannabis legalization forward. Um, are you optimistic that every little bit helps? Is that how you have to look at that effort? Well, I mean, one, I mean, Congress isn't eventually going to move until this is just a slam dunk with the American public. And the more times they hear the beating of the drum coming back from the states, it makes it easier for them to vote on something like this. And you mentioned, you know, a couple of the stars coming out. I want to mention, um, uh, I think it was 24 governors sent a letter to Congress uh, this past week to say, hey, pass the Safe Banking Act in uh, defense uh, appropriations budget bill. And so 
I mean, 24 governors. It, it, the reason why I'm saying this is it's just showing you how this is getting throughout America, how there is this broad acceptance on something like this. It takes time. It makes my life easier. I'd rather have 50 <laughs> governors behind a bill, but 24 is better than, you know, you remember back in the day when we'd get one or two or three governors supporting right. something. And so now it's a lot more and it's uh, a little more winded our sales and it, it doesn't hurt. There you go. And it, every little effort's going to help. I mean, that's the whole point of this. Isn't going to just be a slam dunk. You still have a president in the Oval Office who uh, perhaps even though he said he supports it, you know, we haven't seen a lot of movement. And it's been frustrating, I think, not only for lobbyists, but also for other advocates out there that they're not getting what they'd like to get out of the White House as far as cannabis reform goes. But if uh, there's a this kind of initiative with the other side of the aisle, perhaps we might see something on his desk in the next year or two. So if, if something gets on his desk, it's going to be Democratic led. But yeah. um, it is a lot easier. And we've done the math before, you know, anything getting out of the Senate is going to need 60 votes, right? 60 votes. OK, you get 60 votes. You're needing 10 to 15 Republicans on something like that. And the only way 10 or 15 Republican senators are going to get on something like that is if there's a lot more broad support on this issue. And it's just it's just not there for Republicans just yet. Um, I'll be honest with you. I don't think it's just there for Joe Biden. It seems like he goes an inch forward and two steps back right. on something like this, where I think they could be doing a lot more. And I think they're not um, doing as much as they could be behind the scenes. And. I think you look at um, you look at cannabis stocks. They they have been probably half of what they were in January because the reality is the moneyed interest probably don't see cannabis reform on the short term horizon happening. Just the realities of DC coming in, and so I, I always mention this: it, we're never going to go backwards. Um, we're going to get to it legalization, but is it, is it a straight line that takes a year? Does it take a year? Does it take three years or takes five more years, another administration, another Congress? But I've been doing this eight years. I plan to be doing it, you know, until we get this over the finish line. And so um, I'm, I'm really happy a uh, Republican um, introduced a bill. We're looking through it. There's a lot of good provisions in it. You know, the, the excise tax of under 4%, that's wonderful compared to, say, the Chuck Schumer bill, which is in the high 20s or something right. like that. And right. so whatever legislation is out there and what cannabis industry is fighting for is making sure people participate in this industry and the gray market, the illicit market slowly dissipates and goes away. Um, and, and people, small business entrepreneurs want to participate in this business. If all we're doing is fighting, so five big companies gobble up the entire industry you know, is that the world we want to live in? That's not the world I want to live in. And no. we, can, we can do what we can to make sure that small business entrepreneurship um, is still thriving. And there isn't, you know, NCI is fighting for that. And I want to make sure, you know, most people, you and others who have been doing this for a year, are fighting for the same thing. A reminder, Michael will be joining Green Rush Live at 4 p.m. on Friday with host David Rabinovitz. On Friday on the PCM TV network, of course, that's when you'll find Green Rush Live every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Now, for the rest of the news from the D.C. area, here's Vote Pro Podcast, Phil Adams. Phil? Hi, this is Phil Adams from Vote Pro Podcast, here with the Weed Talk News, D.C. Report. A group of U.S. senators sent a letter to President Biden this week 
once again urging him to use his presidential authority to grant mass clemency to nonviolent cannabis offenders. The letter signed by Senators Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey of Massachusetts and Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon notes that the criminalization of cannabis is quote, increasingly out of step with the views of the American public. The constitution grants the president the power to pardon individuals as well as broad classes of Americans to correct widespread injustices. Last February, 37 members of Congress sent a similar letter to Biden no action has been taken by the administration. House members from both parties are calling on leadership to use budgetary restrictions to protect states where cannabis is legal from federal interference. In a letter to the leaders of the House Appropriations Committee, a group of four House members, three Democrats and one Republican, are asking that language be included in the final spending bill for fiscal year 2022 prohibiting the Justice Department from using federal funds to circumvent duly enacted state cannabis laws. The letter states, quote, we believe that the federal government should not interfere with the will of the voters of these states. A change in leadership in Virginia will not mean the end of cannabis retail sales in, com in the Commonwealth. In fact, members of the new Republican majority in the House of Delegates are considering speeding up the timeline for recreational sales set to begin in 2024. Adult use legalization went into effect on July 1st of this year, allowing possession of up to one ounce of cannabis by adults 21 and older. It did not, however, legalize buying and selling of cannabis products. Incoming Republican House leader Todd Gilbert said, quote, we need to fix that where all we'll have is a black market. Republican governor-elect Glenn Youngkin pledged during the campaign that he will not seek to repeal legalization. That's the Weed Talk news from inside the Beltway. I'm Phil Adams from Vote Pro Podcast. This is, of course, the week of Veterans Day when we honor and remember many who served our country in the military. A quick shout out to our favorite veteran, Stephen Mandilli from Uxbridge, who works as a co-host on our Joint Venture Co. show with Ann Brum. Please get well soon. Stephen, we miss you, big guy. Our Missouri report is from a friend of Missouri veterans, Brandon Jones, who tells us about another state that has now banned hemp-derived Delta-8 while also postponing new rules about promotional events in the cannabis industry in that show me state. Here's Brandon's report this week. Hey everybody, I'm Brandon Jones, a distribution maven, Missouri Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. Today I'm at Mogro Solutions here in Kansas City, Missouri for a Veterans Day celebration. We're actually getting a lot of uh, education out to the veteran community and one of the biggest things they did today was they gave an entire grow kit to a veteran. So Top Shelf is a local podcast. It's Top Shelf with uh, Big B and Zach. They do a lot of education on the Missouri uh, cannabis scene and help a lot of uh, veterans in the community. Big B himself was a veteran. So they actually gave an entire grow kit to a gentleman today and uh, set him up so that he can have his own medicine. The second report today comes out of DHSS. It has to deal with two main issues on a draft. The first is clones. So at this, at this point in time, Missouri cannot sell clones at any dispensaries, but this is up for change. There are a couple of weird stipulations in the law, though. First of all, is that they must be kept in the vaults. They must be labeled by the person and cannot be, uh, must be picked up within 24 hours of the actual uh, estimated delivery date. 
if they don't pick it up, the dispensary must dispose of the clone. The second is that they are thinking about banning Delta 8 products in all dispensaries here in Missouri. So these two things are up for draft and should be voted on soon. So again, I'm Brandon Jones with Distribution Maven for Weed Talk News, Missouri Report. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great weekend. The Garden State of New Jersey has announced that they'll be accepting applicants for adult use licenses next month. That state hopes to open their first adult use dispensaries next year, about six months ahead of where their big brother neighbor, New York, is at at this particular time. New York continues to dominate the news when it comes to merger and acquisitions, and that's why we depend on the Green Market Report's Deborah Borchardt to keep us all up to speed on the world of the publicly traded cannabis stocks and the multi-state operators who continue to dictate the direction of this new industry. Here's Deborah's Green Market Report for this week. This is your business update from the Green Market Report for Weed Talk News. We are in the thick of earnings season with almost 20 different cannabis companies delivering their numbers this week. Still, there's a couple of huge deals we've got to go over. Spring Big announced it was going public through the Tuatara SPAC. The post-transaction valuation is listed at $500 million, and it is being suggested that the company will have $200 million in cash after the closing. But we think it is worth noting that Spring Big is only on track to report $24 million in revenues for 2021, so that's a pretty frothy valuation. Cureleaf Holdings is buying Western state operator Trike Companies, known for its reef dispensaries, in a deal valued at approximately $286 million. The acquisition is expected to close in the second half of 2021, and Cureleaf said it is going to be immediately accretive. Trike is expected to deliver nearly $110 million in full-year 2021 revenue. And turning in one of the best earnings reports this week was Green Thumb Industries. Third quarter revenue at Green Thumb increased 48% to $233.7 million. GTI's same store sales growth was 14%, and that's on a base of 48 stores driven primarily by increased transactions. And you can head over to the Green Market Report for more earnings details. I'm Deborah Borchardt, and this has been your Weed Talk News business update. It's the fifth annual Harvest Cup at the DCU Center in Worcester, Massachusetts this weekend. This is the yearly competition for who grows the best weed in the Bay State. There are about a dozen categories for best sativa, indica, resin, hash, and many other categories. And I talked with the Harvest Cup Scott Brodsky on Wednesday's LinkedIn Live, In the Weeds. And after a year off because of COVID, they are all looking forward to getting back to -to face-to-face networking and selling, of course. We are all consumers of this incredible plant, and it really is. It's a consumer show. I mean, when people ask, you know, what kind of a of show are you? Uh, you know, well, I say first, we're a cup. You know, we're a cannabis cup. That's who we are. We're a competition. We're just fortunate to have fortunate enough to have the DCU Center as a venue where we can actually host it, and that just lends itself to some incredible things like the trade show and the expo that we are able to put on with the speakers, the presentations, and having all these incredible vendors and sponsors coming out to support us and really, you know, be a part of the community and bring everybody together. So it really is. With the rest of the cannabis news from the Bay State, here's Ron Marshallsey. Ron? I'm Ron Marshallsey with the Massachusetts Cannabis Report for Weed Talk News. Governor Charlie Baker announced Wednesday that he would be refiling legislation to set the ground rules for enforcing laws that ban driving while under the influence of marijuana in Massachusetts. 
The governor said his bill would revoke someone's license for six months if they are suspected of operating under the influence of marijuana and refuse to take a chemical test for impairment. The bill would also prohibit drivers from having loose or unsealed packages of marijuana in their cars, similar to the ban on open containers of alcohol in vehicles. A recent bill filed in the House by a state rep and two senators would legalize health insurance coverage for medical marijuana products and related clinical visits in Massachusetts. Dr. Ryan Zacklin, who works in the Mass General Brigham Network, said in a joint committee on financial services hearing that patients don't come to him for marijuana. Instead, they come to him for pain, anxiety, and insomnia, and he also added how cost is among the biggest barriers to treatment that he sees with his patients. However, since cannabis is still considered a Schedule One drug by the Drug Enforcement Administration and not yet FDA approved, Massachusetts does not allow health insurers to pay for medical marijuana. And finally, Clear Cannabis Incorporated, master licensor of cannabis distillate brand The Clear, announced today its entrance into the Massachusetts cannabis market through a partnership with the Bay State-based Green Gold Group. This will be their first venture on the East Coast, and Seth Wiggins, president of CCI, was quoted as saying, Massachusetts is one of the most robust and mature recreational markets on the East Coast, which made it an easy choice. We found the perfect partner with Green Gold Group, and we are thrilled to be entering the Massachusetts marketplace. This officially places the clear brand coast to coast and formalizes our national presence. The company's award-winning line of vape cartridge concentrates will soon be available in 35 to 40 retail locations throughout the Commonwealth. That's this week's Massachusetts Cannabis Report. For We Talk News, I'm Ron Marshallson. It's been a real battle in South Dakota for the rights of patients to have access to medical marijuana in that state, and that was a program that was actually voted on and approved by a landslide in the last election. Finally, it looks like that medical program will get launched in that state. Now, you might remember that voters approved both medical and adult use at the ballot box in South Dakota in November last year. But their governor, Kristi Noem, is still fighting the adult use initiative in the courts while the legislature there tries to figure out if they can launch an adult use program. No such problem in Vermont, where that state continues to move towards their first official, official sale of adult-use cannabis products. Green nurse Jesse Lynn Dolan has our Vermont Cannabis Report. Jesse Lynn? I'm Jesse Lynn Dolan from Nurse Grown Organics and Vermont Cannabis Nurses, and this is the Weed Talk News Vermont Report. Milton resident Kyle Lamothe was sentenced to two years imprisonment after he pled guilty to the possession of over 1,300 pounds of cannabis, almost 1,600 kilograms of THC-infused products, 121,000 in currency, and four loaded firearms. Lamoth will also have to pay a $20,000 fine and be subject to three years of supervision after his release. In the last few weeks, a number of towns, Jamaica, Woodstock, and now Londonderry, have voted in favor of allowing cannabis retail in their community. However, Ludlow voted down retail. Look for more votes come town meeting day in March. With those votes likely in mind, the Cannabis Control Board has asked lawmakers to come up with new financial incentives to get towns to opt in to cannabis retail in their communities. Cannabis Control Board member Julie Hulbert noted that towns could run into unexpected expenses hosting a retail store and that sharing a portion of Vermont's cannabis excise tax with communities 
could help defray those costs. Holbert said sharing tax revenue allows local government to cover their costs associated with retail stores being within their borders. And it may encourage municipalities to opt in to allowing retailers to come into their borders. The legislator will be picking up this issue and other cannabis related proposals when they reconvene in January. That's the Vermont Report for Weed Talk News. I'm Vermont's cannabis nurse, Jessie Lynn Dolan. It's called Cannabis in Common, and it's Seth Rogen's latest attempt at normalization and legalization of cannabis. This week, he joined Sarah Silverman on Headcount with videos designed to ask the public to call on their federal representatives in the states to put an end to prohibition in this country and legalize cannabis finally. Interestingly, U.S. multi-state operators like Cureleaf, Kronos, and Canopy Growth from Canada have all pledged support behind the efforts of Rogan and Silverman to galvanize the public. Right now, 68% of Americans support legalization at the federal level, according to the latest polls. Perhaps some messages from celebrities and their constituents will motivate our politicians to learn about this plant once and for all. One guy who has always been in favor of legalization is attorney Thomas Howard out of Illinois. He hosts the popular cannabis legalization news. He has our Illinois report for Weed Talk News. Hello, I'm Tom Howard from Cannabis Legalization News, and I'm here with Weed Talk News to discuss Illinois from the week that is November 11th, 2021. And in the big story, Green Thumb Industries has exploded when it comes to its stock. It is up about 16% today because they blew the socks off of their earnings. It's quite easy to do when there's been no new um, cultivation licenses given out by the state of Illinois uh, since on July, actually, but the, those entrants aren't coming onto the market for at least another, and this was from uh, a reputable source that is another MSO operator in the industry, uh, 12 to 18 months. So 12 to 18 months from now is, uh, you know, four to six quarters. Looks like Green Thumb Industries, the ticker for that one is GTBIF. It may still go up, but you know how stocks are. Sometimes you don't get to uh, only make money by printing it and then by selling securities. Sometimes you raise money, and that is what Philo did, another Chicago-based cannabis ancillary. It is a cannabis marketing and compliance software company. They raised another $40 million to fund growth, mergers and acquisitions, and attract talent. Uh, the deal comes just seven months after they had raised $30 million, and now they've raised $100 million in capital since August of 2020. Why would you need to raise so much capital? probably because you're losing money, but it's a private company, so we really can't inspect its books, unlike Green Thumb Industries, where you can. So we can't, we have to read tea leaves when you have a private company that's raising money like that. However, you're publicly traded, you actually have to report um, on a quarterly basis, as you may or may not be aware. Uh, and then finally, uh, Illinois craft growers are struggling to get out of the gate, even though that they now have licenses. For example, Ambrose Jackson, a CEO of Helios Labs, shout out to him, hopefully I'll see him here in the city really soon. Ambrose Jackson said, this was an unintended consequence of legislation that limited our production initially to 5,000 square feet of flowering canopy. For craft growers, licenses winners that are in the process of securing facilities and maybe redesigning floor plans, and it makes a sense to build out a 
it makes sense to build out a facility capable of operating at the maximum 1400 square feet of flowering canopy. The problem is that it becomes cost prohibitive for some. And that is true. You see the 5000 square foot flowering canopy is the smallest license type in the state of Illinois. It equates approximately to a class C license in Michigan, which is their largest license type. Class C license has 2000 plants. A craft grower license doesn't have a limit on plants, just the flowering canopy size at four square feet per plant. That would be approximately 1250 um, uh, plants in flower. And so that would be approximately a class C license because not all your plants would be in flower, you see. You might have still some in veg powering flower rooms. And if you really enjoyed all these types of things, you should check me out at cannabisindustrylawyer.com. My name is Tom. You can also find me on Instagram at cannabisindustrylawyer. Back to you, Jimmy. Ohio is starting to talk about expanding its already existing medical marijuana program by adding many ailments to the list of diagnoses to qualify. They include migraines, opioid use disorder, and arthritis. A Republican state senator there named Stephen Huffman has introduced a bill that expands that program while signatures are being collected in Ohio to get adult use on the ballot for 2022. No such issues in California, where Christopher Smith has been covering the cannabis scene out there for years. Here's Christopher's report this week for American Cannabis Report and for Weed Talk News. Christopher? Thanks, Jimmy. Here's this week's California Roundup for Weed Talk News. She's half legacy, half legend, and you might recognize her predicament and wonder, if Kimberly Cargyle has her parachute on, should I get ready to jump too? Kimberly Cargyle. She's a 20-year California cannabis veteran. Having started working in the fields in 2001, she's volunteered for every major cannabis organization nationwide. She's helped guide policy, and now she's the owner of nine cannabis businesses. Well, they're getting crushed by MSO competition and by falling prices, so she's got her head outside the plane looking for a soft landing. Now, if you're worried about your own place in the industry, just remember that California has been flying this plane for 25 years. You probably got a little more time to make your fortune before you need to put your own ripcord. News from Hollywood is that celebrities are taking the fight for legal cannabis to Congress. Seth Rogen and Sarah Silverman, two stoners, one owner, founded Cannabis in Common, which says if we don't make a change soon, we are settling for laws that disproportionately land people of color in prison. We're leaving hundreds of thousands of jobs on the table and giving up tax revenue that can go toward education and other community investments. Nearly 50 companies have signed on as partners. They want federal legalization, but let's hope that they do not want federal regulation. What a mess that would be. Corruption, extortion, and theft. Oh my! In Northern California, Mendocino County, or Mendo, as the locals say, is Given coppers yet another black eye, the lawsuit alleges hundreds of acts of extortion, theft, and robbery of marijuana guns and cash by law enforcement officials from at least four separate agencies. The Mendocino County Sheriff's Office, Mendocino County District Attorney's Office, California Department of Fish and Wildlife, and the Rohnert Park Police Department. Mendocino Shakedown sounds like a Grateful Dead song, but the lyric Sheriff's On My Trail was already taken by a song called Friend of the Devil. Did Jerry Garcia have a crystal bong? And I'm Christopher Smith from the American Cannabis Report, sending peace and love from Cannabis Heaven, California, and Mendocino too, for Weed Talk News. Hello again, this is the Michigan Report with Rick Thompson, 
on Weed Talk News. Let's begin. A grand dinner was held at the Radisson Hotel Tuesday night featuring an educational seminar for House Representatives and their staff members. Jamie Lowell acted as MC. Presentations were made by Joe Sullivan, Mitzi Ruddock, Representative Cynthia Johnson, Amy Carter, Casson Coleman, and myself. This educational seminar comes as just the latest in a series of actions taken by patient, caregiver, and adult use community in late 2021 in response to the introduction of a bill package which proposes to radically alter the nature of the medical marijuana laws in Michigan. Those events included Rally the Allies in Ypsilanti, the September 15th rally at the Capitol building, Lobby Day 2021, and the three regulatory reform committee hearings in which a large patient caregiver contingent was present. It was testimony and questions asked during the first of those hearings where the need to educate lawmakers on the nature of cannabis and the details of the law became apparent. Michigan cannabis retailers on the Indiana border say more than half of their customers are from south of the dividing line, according to a new report from WANE. One dispensary manager estimates her out-of-state customer base as 60%. Another was quoted as saying more than half of their sales goes to Hoosiers, who often come in and buy the full limit of 15 concentrate grams or 2.5 ounces of flour. The report also references cannabis tourism too, as one expert discussed couples coming to Michigan for a date night, which involves an overnight stay in a local hotel, a fancy dinner, and a trip to a local retailer. More ways in which cannabis consumers help to pump up the economies of the communities which allow them. Final story today, online news source greenstate.com revealed the answer to the months old question, which Michigan city has the most cannabis retailers in it? Well, that depends on how you're measuring the most, says author Angela Mulka. Now by sheer numbers, it's Ann Arbor with 24. However, Ann Arbor has a population of about 120,000. Consider instead Bay City. With a population of only 20,000, they have 22 adult use retailers. Now that's one retailer for every 1,500 city residents. And then there's tiny but friendly Kalkaska with one retailer for every 346 residents. Other cities with large numbers of cannabis retailers include Battle Creek with 20, Lansing with 16, Kalamazoo at 14, and then Big Rapids, Muskegon, and Grand Rapids, each with 12. And that's it for the Michigan Report with Rick Thompson on Weed Talk News. And finally tonight, once again, a true story about an effort by a 19-year-old Alabama man who thought it would be a good idea to try to break into prison to deliver cigarettes and cannabis to some friends in jail. Now, it was around 2 a.m. that Jadakis McKinney was spotted by a security camera cutting through the fence at the Troy, Alabama, Pike County Jail. His own phone was used to locate him after he cut through two fences. Needless to say, he got caught, arrested in the parking lot, and charged with criminal trespassing, promoting prison contraband, and yes, of course, cannabis possession. I guess the good news is he's now reunited with his friends in jail. They just don't have any weed or cigarettes to celebrate with. You know, you just can't make this stuff up. That's Weed Talk News for this week. I'm Jimmy Young from Pro Cannabis Media. Remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. And Elena Pinto returns to the Anchor Desk next week.